Welcome to episode 85 of the Jackson Hole Connection, brought to you by Jackson Hole Marketplace, Jackson Hole's little community market on the south side of town. Please visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash jhm to learn more. And on a side note, today would normally be the first day of Jazz Fest in New Orleans. You can enjoy some of the rich heritage Jazz Fest has produced by listening to WWOZ live broadcasting former Jazz Fest performances. Visit www.org slash listen. Now, go shake your moneymaker and dance in the streets. www.org slash listen. Hello from Jackson Hole. I'm Stephan Abrams, your host and guide today. Each week I sit with someone connected to Jackson Hole to share their fascinating story about daily life. I feel we can all learn so much from each other and I intend to search out people and their stories which will teach us all a little about life outside of our everyday circle. My guest today is Chef Jason Mitchell. Chef Jason has been a resident of Jackson Hole since 2006. We had a great time talking for this episode. Chef Jason is very much woven into the fabric of this special community. He's been hosting the Grand Table Radio Show for 11 years on one of the local radio stations, K-Hole. He teaches culinary arts at Central Wyoming College and is the chef at our local bowling alley, Hole Bowl, and kind of our only bowling alley. Chef Jason and I cover a lot of ground on this episode. Food, music, community involvement, wine, and what Chef Jason calls the happiest meal on the planet, which you should all go make during this COVID-19 crisis. Jason, thank you for joining me here at the Jackson Hole Connection today. We are joining virtually via the all-famous Zoom. Great to see you today. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. So let's jump into one of the ever-present questions on this podcast. And How did you land in Jackson Hole? What is your connection here? I started visiting Jackson back in the 80s, mostly for skiing. My good friend from school, his family had a piece of property here, and I would visit and ski and fish, and pretty much made the decision back uh, when I was a young man to make this my home no matter what. (laughs) Um, So I... I, uh, I got the offer to run a, a local kitchen at a local resort here, and uh, I packed up my stuff and moved out here in uh, 2006 after being semi-local since about 89 or so. So, And then I haven't looked back. Well, I remember when I came out here in 99, and I have not looked back either. Yeah, it's a great uh, place for a home base. And if you can actually make your living here in Jackson and doing the things that you love without having to leave, it's even better. Mm -hmm. Um, I've found that I've had to travel just a little bit here and there, uh, help out restaurants, uh, do some private stuff for some people as far as cooking and, and a little consulting work. Uh, but mostly it's been here full time, which is great. Yeah. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah. It's great. And and how did you get into the world of food and then rise to the ranks of chef? Well, I grew up in a single family household. Mm-hmm. My mother worked in healthcare all of her life. She's a nurse, nurse practitioner. Big shouts to the nurses and the doctors right now. 
Uh, she was constantly at the hospital. So I learned how to cook. I, I think my first dish was scrambled eggs. I must have been seven or eight years old. I had this little stool <laughs> that I would push up against the stove. And, uh, and I was very conscious not to burn anything. And I remember this old pantry that we had in this huge old Victorian house on Randolph Avenue in St. Paul. And just a lot of memories that have to do with uh, smell and taste and actual tactile, tactile memories. And that's when I first started cooking. And it was, it was a survival method more than anything else. And then I got into it a little bit at boarding school with my good friend, Mike, who does, who had the, the piece of property here, still does. And he and I opened a bakery at, at school. And I must have been 15, 14, 15 years old. And he would tell me stories of working in restaurants in Atlanta about this, this crazy stuff, like this Italian restaurant where these dudes in shiny suits would come walking through the back door, right? And uh, he would be just over there making, prepping or doing rolls or something. And, and then the owner would come back and they'd whisper in the back and then they'd go in the owner's office. And I just found all these stories about the internal machinations of, of restaurants fascinating. And I said, well, gosh, you know, that sounds really cool. I either want to be a musician or I want to be a chef. <laughs> so uh, I did the, I moved to California and I, and I became heavily involved in the music scene there for a number of years. And uh, it got pretty crazy there for a while. And I decided to move back to Minnesota. And um, from the Minnesota, I went to the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York, and uh, got two degrees, and a degree in cooking and a degree in business and, and management in just under three years, uh, just by working diligently uh, all the time while in New York. And uh, that was it. And then I became the, uh, you know, I, I just, it was a springboard after graduating from the CIA. It was just a, it was just a, a rocket ship after that a springboard into, into what I've turned into my life. Right? And, and then during that, some of that time I was reading in your, in your notes that you typed up that you were the chef of the governor of Minnesota. Right. Right. I was the, uh, the personal chef for the governor of Minnesota. So I was actually a state employee and I went through a, a, a series of background checks and federal security checks for that. Um, and I enjoyed being, the chef for Governor Tim Pawlenty and his wife and two daughters. So I worked at the governor's mansion exclusively uh, on uh, Summit Avenue in St. Paul for a number of years. It was a great experience. And were you also preparing food for the events or just yeah. for them privately? All, everything that had to do with food uh -huh. was under my purview at the governor's mansion. Um, large events to 300 people. I was the executive chef. I'd bring in help if I needed to. Smaller intimate dinners at the governor's mansion with um, heads of state and royalty and sports figures, et cetera, Hollywood people and all that kind of stuff. So um, it was, I ran the gamut. Sometimes I would have to do just an intimate breakfast for maybe four. And then that evening I would have to do a five course dinner for 12. It just, you really had to be on the ball and mm -hmm. be available all the time. It was a 24 hour a job, 24 hour a day job. I, sure. I was about to ask that. Was that a 24 seven job? It was, you're on call all the time. Uh -huh. 
I'm a firm believer is you're only as good as the people that you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. I think I learned that lesson the most working with governor, uh, governor Pawlenty and his office for those years, he surrounded himself with great people. And this was during, um, you know, this was back in 2001 during nine 11. So there was a lot of serious stuff going on back then. A lot of security protocol, a lot of people trying to do the right thing and gathering the best people around themselves as they could. I felt privileged that I was a part of all that. Cool. Right on for you. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, I think you're the first person that I've met that has had a culinary position at that level. Um, Yeah, that's, that's pretty high up there. I mean, I, I've worked in some hotels and restaurants and resorts in my life, but I think that's about one of the the coolest thing that I've, that I've heard of right there. You know, it was pretty intense. Yeah. Um, I had this business. I remember the business card. I think I have a couple of them still around here. I called it my get out of jail free card. (laughs) It had the governor's seal on it and it had my name on it. And, you know, it pretty much opened every door that ever, if I ever needed something, it was, it was there. I never had since then experienced that sort of power, Mm -hmm. that sort of purchasing power before. Um, I do remember meeting a f- not really a friend of mine, an acquaintance of mine, Andrew Zimmer is also from Minnesota and we met in a grocery store and I introduced myself and I gave him my card. This was a long time ago. Um, but that was, that was sort of a star struck moment for me meeting, meeting that cat. Mm-hmm. That was 30, 20, 20, 30 years ago, 20, 20 years ago. Something like that. Something yeah. like that. There's some math it, in there someplace. It, it was a lot of, it was a lot of cooking ago. <laughs> I, bet, I bet it was. And and now you have your own radio show. Yes. And the station is on what radio station? KHOL 89.1 Jackson Public Radio. And people can listen to your radio show over the internet as well. Yes. They're not here yes. in town. And they can go to my website. I have, you know, I built this awesome website with some local uh, website builders, CJH, great guys. Um, and you can go to chefjasonradio.com. And then there's a link there that goes to my SoundCloud platform and it has all of my shows from the past 11 years. Or you can just stream online at khol.org uh, every Sunday at 11. And the Grand Table has been on the air at that time since the inception of KHOL over 11 years ago. I feel privileged and, and really blessed that I was a part of that program since the beginning. I didn't realize that you've been doing it for since KHOL started and, and they've been around for 11 years now. Congrats. 11 years. I did take a little break when I did a little consulting gig in the Caribbean, in the Turks and Caicos, and that was only for about four months. And then I've just recently taken a small break uh, after this last summer. But I just now purchased, you're going to love this, man. I just purchased a microphone and I just downloaded the new Adobe Audition and Mm -hmm. I just got a new set of cans. So I've got a whole (laughs) uh, recording studio that I'm going to be doing here in my office. And I'm really excited about that. So I can do programs from home, which I'm really excited about. Well, help me... um understand and learn more about your radio show there that over 11 years, what are the topics that you've covered? 
Well, food and music is such a broad sp- spectrum. Uh-huh. Uh, I always say I, I've never run out of ideas yet. Now, I have covered, uh, you know, I've, I do shows like, let's just say wines. Um, I love doing shows on wines because it's endless. And I usually do three or four parts. Like I'll do the first week, I'll do part one, uh, Oregon varietals, part two, uh, Washington State varietals and the difference between the terroirs. There is just so much out there. Uh, and thankfully, we have our wonderful public library and the internet. Now, back back when I started, the internet wasn't what it is today. So most of the research came from the library or my book collection. I have over 400 volumes of, of, of food-related topics myself. But now it's, it's quite a bit easier. And then I uh, – so I'll do – uh, the first half hour, first 20, 25 minutes is, is usually about the music. And I've done mostly Americana, uh, jazz, huge, huge amounts of jazz, particularly the hard bop era. I've done blues. Um, I've done good old rock and roll. So I'll, I'll extrapolate a little bit about the musicians, what they're playing, who's in the band, when this was recorded. Um, who recorded it, where was it mixed, interesting things that I, I feel that people could identify with. And with my music background, it was a no-brainer. And then for the last portion of the show, the last half hour or so, I'll, I'll do the music. It'll be yeast. It'll be wild yeast. It'll be the history of garlic, or it'll be the Egyptians or the Mes- Mesopotamians and their involvement with beer, or the monks out of Germany and bottom fermenting. It just... There's a lot, and I've only scratched the surface with f- over 500 shows. It's, it's ultimately, uh, I would love to do this for a living, <laughs> but we'll see, man. We'll see. <laughs> I love the fact that you just said that you've done over 500 shows and you have yet to scratch the surface. There's a lot out there. I, I always like to say... <laughs> I always like to say you follow the history, you follow the food. Mm-hmm. Um, because if if you do follow the, the history of man, the history of humans, right, from the spice road to the silk road to, um, you know, the slave trade and uh, East India Trading Company, you follow those things that all those people did before us. And there's always little nuggets of information about what they ate and how that changed the world, and how it changed human beings. So um, I truly believe I've just scratched the surface. And it's really an homage to this show that I grew up listening to on National Public Radio. Um, A great family friend, her name is uh, Lynn Rosetto Casper, and she did this show called The Splendid Table. And uh, it's really an homage to her and what the Splendid Table did for me as a young cook growing up in the restaurants, in in the restaurant world. Did you grow up watching, gosh, the Cajun chef? Yan, Yan can cook. I remember Yan. No, no, no. The Cajun chef. What was his? Oh, yeah. Cajun chef. Yes. Justin. Yeah, no. He always had this red plaid shirt, I think. Right. And at the end, he'd drink a little wine, a little bit more yeah, wine. It was cool. Oh, we need some more was, wine here. Yes. There, was, uh, there was the frugal gourmet. Uh-huh. And then there was, of course, Julia. 
I think the Cajun chef, frugal, Yan can cook, and Julie, I think it was pretty much those four luminaries that really grabbed my attention. And I didn't, I grew up without a television. I don't have one now. I, I, I do, but it's, it's Netflix and oriented type thing. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny what, it's a little sad in a way, and, and I hope you'll forgive me if I jump on a pedestal here. It's a little sad in a way of, what food television has done to the world of food. Um, it's not, it, in my opinion, it's lost a little bit of its purity. And that's a little sad to me. Tell me more about that. Why do you feel that television has caused food to lose some of its purity? Well, I think it's become more of a medium of entertainment now. Okay. Than it is a, a focus of art and craft. Mm-hmm. I would much rather sit around with good friends drinking wine and, and cooking and eating food in an atmosphere of, of relaxed confidence than I would sit around in the living room watching somebody push a grocery cart through a grocery store under a time limit. It just seems a little silly to me. And being what I call myself as a purist and looking at the history of food and being involved as I am myself, with my research and, and what I like to do and what I like to cook, I just find it a little troubling that some of, some of the culinary students now have these expectations of jumping out of a very difficult program at the Culinary Institute of America and maybe perhaps thinking too much that there's a book deal or a movie deal or a food mm. deal out there just waiting for them and it's going to happen and and only about 1% of, of these kids or these cooks, these young chefs are, are actually going to do something. And it all is it do something as far as media driven and making money at it. Mm-hmm. It's terribly difficult. So I think the most important thing is, is to follow your soul and find your truth of food. And I think that's lost. And I think that's lost in the television media drama driven entertainment world of food. I think the truth of food is, is becoming more and more obscure. I, 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 I'll agree with you on that one. And, and I'm going to take it a bit further and say a, a lot of people coming out of school or just whatever they have in their mind think that, oh, I'm going to be an overnight success. I'm going to get out of business school and boom, I'm going to be making millions right out the chute, or I'm going to get out of art school and I'm going to be this world-renowned artist. They're missing the blood, sweat, and tears that it takes to get to a level of success where you're comfortable. And I think people are missing out because they're more in it for how other people can perceive them versus their own benefits and rewards out of really doing the work, the hard work. I agree 100% with everything you just said. Unfortunately, when I graduated, it was a whole different world as far as what's going on in the world. Media, electronics, what's what's come about is just leaps leaps forward in just about everything imaginable. Everybody's talking about recently the written word is is dead. Or, or if you're not on a media-driven platform, you're not going to go going to get anywhere. And I have to just take a step back and, for myself and my soul, realize that I started doing radio as a volunteer, 
and that fills my soul. And I've been doing radio as a volunteer for over 11 years, and this is something volunteering actually fills my soul. The essence of volunteering is actually giving something of yourself with no expectations of a return. Mm-hmm. That is the essence to me of being a volunteer. It's hard work. You put in the time. Will you be recognized? Who cares? That's not why you're doing it. That's the important thing that, that I've had to realize. And it's allowed me to give something of my soul out there and be a part of something larger than myself without the expectation of return. And that's really important to my truth of food. I like that. Give something without expecting a return. That's that you, you got it. So true. Well, how do you put food on your table when you're not volunteering? What do you do? Well, I've been doing a lot of cooking lately, man. <laughs> uh, I, I've, Luckily, I, I was on the road a number of years ago in California working on a food project with this little B&B and this little, some acreage behind this B&B, putting this menu together, sustainable thing in, in Northern California. It was a lot of fun, very gratifying. And then my friend was opening up this um, new venue here in Jackson, and I was so excited. It was the bowling alley, and I had been reading about the last few years before that what's going on in this bowling alley world, this boutique bowling alley where I had my eye on this place out in New York called the Brooklyn Bowl. And then we had this other place in Hollywood, the Hollywood Bowl. And and these guys were putting together these great menus, right? And this great bar scene and this great entertainment venue along with this bowling atmosphere, right? This sort of wild, and being a Minnesotan, bowling's huge. You know, we, we play hockey and we bowl. (laughs) (laughs) and we eat and uh so i was really excited about this and i was in california and i got this call and 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 they said you know our chef we have he he didn't work out can you be here on monday and it was like a saturday and i said yeah "Yeah, i'll be there (laughs) and so i start i came in i talked to some great people and uh and i i said yeah and so i'm now i'm a partner and i congrats um thank you and it's, it's great being a part of a large venue with, with more than one revenue stream under one roof. And that's, that's something that was really intriguing to me. And sort of this open slate, right? This open book of what I wanted to do for a menu and, and, and how I could make it work here in Jackson. And, and I kept on going back to this simple food prepared well theory that I, that's never done me wrong. And, and that's how I put food on my table. So I do that. And I, I teach culinary arts and business for central Wyoming college. And I've been awesome. doing that for 10 or 11 years now. So that's a lot of fun. And of course I, I judge the chili cook off every year. We're not having the cook off this year, which is kind of, which is heartbreaking. I'm also uh, a judge for the Teton County fair for the food program there. And, and, uh, you know, I do the, the show and, and I do some consulting and I do some speaking and, and I, I used to travel a little bit more than I've traveled lately <laughs> and I do a little private work. And I, I'm lucky enough to keep busy during these times doing podcasts with you, Stefan, which is pretty cool. Thank you very much. I, feel I very, appreciate this. Very honored about this, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, this is blast. Jason, we're going to take a quick break from to get a word from one of the sponsors and then we're gonna be right back great looking for a badass 
A sandwich in Jackson Hole, Jackson Hole Marketplace, just launched their badass deli. Serving, that's right, badass sandwiches. Made from premier ingredients, such as bread baked daily from 460 Bakery, quality meat from Cy Ginsburg and Boar's Head. Jackson Hole Marketplace is locally owned and operated and has been serving the south side of Jackson since 2017. Shoot on down our way to experience something new in Jackson Hole. Visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash JHM to learn more. Jason, welcome back. I'm so enjoying this this time with you. This is, this is an absolute blast. Great. Um, I feel that there's a lot that you and I resonate with. Um, I, I grew up in, I went to high school in New Orleans and we moved there. My mom, single mom, and she said, all right, you're mowing yards in Mississippi. Now you got to get a job. And I got a job as um, working for a caterer for a friend of our family. And so I was 14 years old and just cooking it up there in New Orleans. Great. And New Orleans is a great food town, man. Isn't it? Yeah. Oh, that's a, really interesting. Before I decided to enroll at the Culinary Institute, I was very happy being a street chef. And I, and I was in San Francisco Bay Area at the time, and I decided to go to the CIA. But if I wouldn't have gone to the CIA, I would have moved down to New Orleans and started cooking as another street chef. And it, I, if, there, if you could be a street chef anywhere, that's, that's one place to do it. That's the town, baby. Yeah. But <laughs> what's coming up with, in relationship to your radio show, because you said that you play a lot of jazz, and I just want to give – a quick shout out to what's coming up the last weekend in April, the first weekend in May every year is the New Orleans Jazz Fest. And I'll put it in the show notes here, but it's uh, WWOZ presents Jazz Fest listening in Jazz Festing in Place 2020. Jazz Festing in Place. Yes. And it has all of these old um, shows that were done. And Jazz Fest, like here on Thursday, April 23rd, is Fats Domino from tw 2001. Um, who else? Uh, Buckwheat Zydeco. Oh, yeah, sure. Funky Z, uh, the Funky Meters from 2010. Panic from 2008. <laughs> I mean, this lineup of what – oh, here's – listen to this one. On Thursday, April 23rd at um, – I think that's going to be at about 12 o'clock – that's Ella, tomorrow. yeah, yeah, tomorrow. Tomorrow, Ella Fitzgerald with Stevie Wonder, bro. Classic stuff. How cool, I mean, man! Where are you gonna get stuff? New Orleans is perfect. It is the food and music town. It's a cool. Place. Uh, I mean, we have all the Marsalis. They were all there. Mm -hmm. uh, rest in peace to Winton's father, by the way. He just passed. Yeah, New Orleans. What a lucky kid you were. Do you, do you have a lot of fond memories? I mean, the smells alone that you grew up with there must have been incredible. They were. I, in, in high school as well, well, actually, this was in college because I was in restaurant management school. And I got an internship through a friend. He connected me with the chef at the Intercontinental Hotel. And the smells there were phenomenal. And I went to the pastry chef's office. He, he took me around. And he was making art with sugar. I kid you not. It was the most beautiful things, paintings and sculptures with sugar. You don't see that stuff anymore. Not any longer. That was mm -hmm. required learning at the Culinary Institute. Spun sugar and, uh, and pulled sugar. 
it was really quite something. It's it's definitely becoming a lost art. I think we're going to see a little bit of resurgence on some of these lost arts. If you if you've been watching online, I have at least. I see this huge resurgence in home baking. Hmm. Everybody seems to be playing with bread or or doing pastries or doing cookies and 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 that's really it's fun to see. Everybody's sort of got their own sourdough starter now, you know. I, I kind of hope to see this old school resurgence and folks are doing gardens, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe if we can put a positive swing in this whole coronavirus thing and, and maybe just see more going back to the grassroots of how our grandmothers cooked and, and planted and, and, and baked, maybe this isn't such a bad thing concerning uh concerning the grassroots movement of food now yes it is an awful thing believe me i don't want to i don't want anybody to take this the wrong way but uh i i really would like to see the brighter side of life uh being in my home for the last month and a half just like everybody else you know so true well during right now this the covid shit that's happening yeah um we all need something that's bright and there, there are some good things that'll come out of it. And you mentioned how your grandmother cooked. Man, my grandmother grew up in the backwoods of Arkansas, so rural. Her father would hitch up the team of mules for them to go to town. So if we're going to bring back that type of cooking, you better do a lot of exercise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those vegetables were cooked to death with salt yeah. pork. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that you've tasted was the salt pork. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but that was a way of cooking. That's all they right. knew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all they knew. And, you know, we'll have to get you on one of the virtual wine tastings that we're doing at the liquor store as well. Oh, I'm down with that. We're doing I, I, them every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 8. I am down with that. I've, I've been in touch with a couple of my people from Oregon. Uh, I have a case coming in tomorrow mm-hmm. of the smaller boutique from one of the smaller boutique wineries, Winderly, out of uh, Dundee, which is a great, really a, a great example of the Pinot Noir coming out of the Willamette Valley. It's a 17. I have a case tomorrow. I've been in touch with Col Solare uh, in southern Washington and Cooper and uh, Fidelitas in southern Washington and then Corps de Terre in Oregon and Eola Hills Winery in Oregon. So, I would love that. I love sunshine trapped in a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> Great way to put it. And so you must have an amazing team. How do, what are some characteristics of people that you look for when you're assembling your team? Because you're doing a lot. You're not, you could not be in the kitchen all the time at Whole Bowl. You, you've got to rely on certain people. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm at the whole bowl six days a week, um, but not for eight or ten hours a day. Mm-hmm. That's an impossibility for me now. Uh, so I rely on my chef de cuisine. His name is Jason Lafferty, and he is fantastic. And he, I hired him way back in the day, uh, and I've known him for twelve, thirteen, fourteen years. Um, he was one of my students. And uh, I rely on him very, very heavily. He ran the kitchen 
for uh, for good old Stiegler back no in the kidding. day. That was his joint. So it was Stiegler and Lafferty. And then when that closed, I snatched him up and he said, God, it's good back. It's great to be back. You know, chef, I've missed you so much. He runs the show when I'm not there. And then I have another student of mine, Glenn Park, who's my sous chef. Uh, and I've, ho- I've known him for 10, 12 years now too. Um, so he's my executive sous chef. And then I have... Uh, a great crew of line cooks who are, who are very dedicated to me and what we do. And I've known them for a number of years. So I think once again, you're only as good as the people that you surround yourself with. And, and I, and it's really important that you treat your people to me. Anyhow, it's very important that I treat them as sometimes I put myself in the back seat to make sure that they're happy, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in this town where the labor pool is very, very shallow. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I got into teaching in the first place for Central Wyoming College, to try to deepen this labor pool, particularly quality line cooks. So I have, yes, I've the people that have been with me have been with me for years in various projects, whether I leave the country and come back, they, they seem to always be there. And, and I certainly appreciate that with, with my soul. Did, did you have a mentor or do you have a mentor at some point that helped you understand and learn these concepts about leading people? Because I agree with you completely. Uh, no, I, I grew up with my mother um, and she was working all the time. And then I, I, had a, I had my grandfather in my life for just a few years. I did have a, I, I have an uncle in, in California who really taught me what work ethic was all about. And, but I, I do have to say that what I learned younger when I was at school was probably the most important thing. I have seen so many restaurants fail because of egoism in the kitchen. So many restaurants that could have done great things. And I have gone into these restaurants and said, you know, I would love to help you guys out, but this is what needs to be done. And I can't tell you how many times I've had to battle the owners by saying, well, let's just get rid of everybody and start over. I said, no, let's take what we have, try to find the passion of why they got in the business in the first place. And let's grow from there. Let's see if we can't reignite that passion with your existing staff. That's the important thing. But as far as having a mentor, I've had to pretty much do this on my own. There, is, there have been influences in my life. Thankfully, none of them are found on television. Um, mm. I certainly do miss Anthony Bourdain uh, extremely, particularly during this time. Uh, I, would, I always wonder what Tony would be saying right now. It, doesn't seem, it seems like we, we lost a real leader in the business when we lost Tony, and I, and I miss him every day. So I think it's important that mentorship, finding a mentor out there, finding somebody that you can believe in and that's somebody that will have your back no matter what, unconditional, is really, is really important. Unfortunately, these are, those types of people are becoming more and more rare with this media-driven world. And that's, 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 a little, that's a little sad. It's a little sad, man. You know? We get more by giving more than, yes. than what we're asking for. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I agree 100%. Mm-hmm. I, I do. Yeah. So the parting words ah. 
for for people that are home, I mean, I mean, everybody's at home right now. <laughs> you hope uh, everybody's at home. We're we're all doing um, what we can to put some smiles on everybody's faces. Yeah, and in food, we all need to eat. Give me two ideas. Give everybody two ideas of something that is going to put a huge smile, not only on their face, but the people they're with when they sit down and, and, and share that meal. Okay. I got a couple ideas. First of all, number one for the happiest meal on the planet is homemade pizza. Okay. Right. So just make some dough, throw it on a pan, make some sauce, take some canned tomato. They're wonderful. You can get high quality canned tomato here in Jackson. Throw it in a blender, a little bit of thyme, some oregano, black pepper, salt, boom, you have an instant pizza sauce. Don't go too heavy on the pizza sauce. Make sure you par-bake the crust. Use fresh mozzarella, nice basil, right? And pepperoni, so happy. Cold beer, that's a yeah. no-brainer. And then, you can even make that pepperoni into a smiley face. Yeah, you can. You can do all <laughs> kinds of stuff. What we've been doing lately is we're making a lot of fun things in the morning. Uh, I'm... We do, we'll do a crepe and then maybe I'll make a video of it and throw it on my Instagram page. It's the only social media uh, platform that I have is Instagram. I, I feel like it's the less painful of all of them out there. Mm -hmm. um, so we do like French toast, the old way, you know, I'll, I'll, I, I'll take vanilla beans and I'll put them into the, into the egg wash and I'll let the, the bread soak in the wash for 15 or 20 minutes, you know, and fresh butter. And I'm, we're not really worried right now about caloric intake or calorie count. <laughs> I don't think anybody is really. No. Uh, my, my gym has been closed forever. We do get out and exercise every day. Every day, rain or shine, we're out there walking three or four miles every day. Awesome. Um, and then what, what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm opening up Julia's cookbook and I'm having fun with Julia again. And I haven't had fun with Julia since the CIA, which is 20 years ago. And so that's a lot of fun. We're doing, you know, her roasted chicken. We've done her roasted pork. We're, we're just having a lot of fun with these old recipes and bringing them back to life. And all of a sudden, my days are like overscheduled. And I'm not even going to my commercial kitchen or, or the restaurant. <laughs> because we're talking about, well, what recipe should we do today? You know? mm -hmm. And then we'll pair a wine with whatever. So I think figuring out what is fun with food is really important. Um, and not just going and buying hummus. Actually go get the can of chickpeas, get the jar of tahini, roast the garlic, do it all yourself, throw it in the Roboku. And, and hopefully whenever this is all over, your skill set it was here, but now it's up here again. And not only that, that, that bit that you've had in there is so chock full of good times and smiles that you never want to go back. And then maybe two years from now, you're going to remember this and you're going to try to capture that feeling you, that you had while cooking the food and, and that is magic to me. That's making something out of basically nothing. And I think that's really important, particularly during this time. I love it. Thank you. I, I tell you, I, I've got two little kids, my yeah. wife and I, six and four. And when you sit down and, and you have dinner with them and they say, thank you for making dinner or wow, this smells great. This tastes wonderful. This is delicious. 
that that's so worth it right there. So we can share so much with food and yes. uh, I appreciate you sharing today. Oh, my pleasure. I would love to do it again. Yeah, we'll have to do that. Thanks, Jason. Thank you very much. All right. Have a good day. Ciao. To learn more about Chef Jason and his radio show, please visit the JacksonHoleConnection.com, episode number 85. If you know of anyone who would be a fabulous guest, send them my way. Have them send me a quick email to connect at the JacksonHoleConnection.com and get out there and share this episode and all the other episodes you've listened to. Super easy to do. Many thanks to everyone who helps me keep the Jackson Hole connection on the air. My wife, Laura, and boys, Lewis and William. My editor and marketing director, Michael Morey, and music provider, Luke Taylor. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I really look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection. Remember to wash your hands, be safe, smile, find something to laugh about. We all need a little bit of love and caring right now. Be kind, everybody.